Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Today, chapter 26 of Alex Ortega's book, The Source. It's been a wealth of information. All really worth knowing. You know, uh, knowledge is no force to believe a thing. It's just helpful to have knowledge and information. It doesn't need to feel threatening. Nobody's going to try to force you to believe it. But this information is not going to be found just anywhere. Today, it's the title of the chapter is Remember. The Commandments of God and the Faith of Jesus. I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. In a way, that could be compared to apostate or apostasy, huh? Because they leave their first belief. Revelation 2.4 does this message fit the present condition of the church? When Jesus Christ came to the founders of the 1844 movement, did they rejoice in the third angel's message? Were they willing to sacrifice everything to be faithful and proclaim God's last warning message to the world? As we read their writings, or read their writings, there can be no doubt they believed the Lord had instructed them were they mistaken, all of them? They loved the message of the Lord because they loved him. In other words, were they mistaken because they believed Jesus was coming at that time? Three selected messages, page 71. I love God. I love Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I feel an intense interest in every soul who claims to be a child of God. I am determined to be a faithful steward. So long as the Lord shall spare my life, I will not fail nor be discouraged. That's a beautiful quote. Jesus himself said, But that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. John fourteen thirty one. What follows when we love the only true God and his Son? I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea. Thy law is within my heart. Psalms 48. That's the first love. Well, that's the first love experience is to delight to do his will. Oh, it's not like some mushy feeling, is it? It's just a delight to do his will. What do we love about a person? We love their mind, their personality, their character. Zara of Ages, page 308. The law is an expression of the thought of God. When received in Christ, it becomes our thought. It lifts us above the power of natural desires and tendencies, above temptations that lead to sin. The law is a transcript of the character of God. That's his mind, his thought. When we love his mind, we love his law. The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are the restoration of the true gospel they present to the world the law of love. The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus present to the world the law of love. Yeah. It's the faith of Jesus and his Father that help him to obey his Father's commands and to give his life that we might be saved. That's the law of love, to give for the salvation of others. I'm reading on. When the Sabbath is presented only as a correct day without the love of the Father and His Son, we give evidence of the deception of the Trinity God. When the Sabbath is presented 
only is a correct day without the love of the Father and His Son. Yeah. You know, the Father and His Son, I believe what He's saying here is, chose love to give your Son because you want to save. But the Trinity God is only three eternal beings in agreement with each other that one would play one part and another another. And um, they don't really die because God can't die. It's a really huge deception and it goes very deep. It takes some thought to understand it though. Okay, reading on. Why must the commandments of God be presented to the world? There is no definition of sin without the law of God. And sin is the transgression of the law. The God of the Sunday churches has done away with the law. What is the greatest commandment of the law? Exodus 21 through 3. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. May we notice that the first angel repeats the everlasting gospel, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Revelation 14.7 The first commandment and the first angel tell us of the only true God, the creator, something the Sunday God never mentions. The only God that delivers from the bondage of sin and death is the creator. He is the God of Israel. Monotheism is the inviolable religion of the Hebrews, the God of Israel, of Israel, excuse me, is the God of Jesus. Jesus had the God as his father. Ellen White records a challenge to those who have left their first love. It's found in early writings, page 33. I saw that God had children who do not see and keep the Sabbath. They've not rejected the light upon it. And at the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully page 85. This enraged the churches and nominal Adventists, see also appendix, as they could not refute the Sabbath truth. And at this time, God's chosen all saw clearly that we had the truth and they came out and endured the persecution with us. What does proclaim the Sabbath more fully mean? How many ways can the seventh day be proclaimed? Surely we've been leaving something out. There's something about the Sabbath truth that's included in the short time of trouble that particularly enrages the nominal Adventists. We were not left in the dark. We were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, this is a peculiarly sobering thought. There are two opposing spirits in the professed Christian world. We've seen the pioneers of the 1844 movement were anti-Trinitarian. They believed the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son. That is to say, it was a spirit of holiness that came from both of them and was a third power. On the other hand, the Trinity claims that the Holy Spirit is a third deity. Something prepares the true church of God to give the loud cry at the right time. They have returned to their first love and worshiped the only true God and his Son. They have remembered the commission of Jesus to teach all that he taught and nothing else. They are enabled by the true Spirit that proceeds from the Father and Son to proclaim the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The banner of the Philadelphia Church, 144,000, names only two beings, God the Father and Jesus the Son. This enrages the Trinity loyalists, and persecution is the inevitable result. You can see the divide between 
the Trinity believers and the Father and Son movement today, they are vitriolic in their anger with each other. The whole world will hate the little company that has forsaken the God of this world and has returned to Jehovah, the God of Israel. John tells of, of the glorious reward of the saints, 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, here's a book. I'm not sure. C-E-T, page 209. Not sure what that reference is. Maybe you know it. If I saw it somewhere, I'm sure I would know it. The declaration in his intercessory prayer that the Father's love is as great towards us as toward himself, the only begotten Son, and that we shall be with him where he is forever. One with Christ and the Father is a marvel to the heavenly host. It's your great joy. Um, UL, page 61. Thus it is that God desires to fulfill for us his purpose of grace by the power of his love through obedience. Fallen man, a worm in the dust, is to be transformed, fitted to be a member of the heavenly family a companion through eternal ages of God and Christ and the holy angels. Heaven will triumph, for the vacancies made by the fall of Satan and his host will be filled by the redeemed of the Lord. Manuscript 21, February 16, 1900. Review and Herald, April 28, 1891, page 4. Enoch kept the Lord ever before him, and the inspired word says that he walked with God. He made Christ his constant companion, he was in the world, he performed his duties to the world, but he was ever under the influence of Jesus. He reflected Christ's character, exhibiting the same qualities in goodness, mercy, tender compassion, sympathy, forbearance, meekness, humility, and love. Wow, what, an, what a list. His association with Christ day by day transformed him into the image of him with whom he was so intimately connected day by day. He was growing away from his own way into Christ's way, the heavenly, the divine. In his thoughts and feelings, he was constantly inquiring, is this the way of the Lord? His was a constant growth, and he had fellowship with the Father and the Son. 12 Manuscript Release, page 181. Great light shines upon this generation. Decided piety and pure living unto God will distinguish the people of God from the world. The Lord would not have his people looking down in discouragement, but looking up to the things that are not seen, which are eternal. Then as his people by faith follow in the path where Christ leads the way, there will be no backsliding, but advancing, keeping pace with the opening providence of God. Then shall we have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Has a reader noticed that in all these statements there is no mention of a third deity? In the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, the plan of salvation is accomplished by two divine beings, the Father and and the Son. In order to be a benefit to humans, there must be a point of contact that is realized through a communication of minds. The Holy Spirit is the divine mind of God. It's the third agency to bring the power of God to humans. Thus, a heavenly trio, not three individuals, is necessary in the plan of redemption. Jesus and his humanity is limited physically to being in one place, but by his divine spirit, he's omnipresent. 14 Manuscript Release, page 179. It is not essential for you to know and be able to define just what the Holy Spirit is. Christ tells us that the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, and the Comforter is the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Truth, which the Father shall send in my name. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, 
that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. John fourteen sixteen and 17. This refers to the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ, called the Comforter. We've already seen that the Comforter is Jesus. Also, the Spirit of Truth is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus, divested of humanity. It should not be difficult to recognize that Jesus, in the believer, is the omnipresence of the Spirit of Christ. Certainly, we cannot explain how these things can be, or analyze them in any way, but the pioneers were able to tell us their experience to help us, and the following statement expresses clearly the view of the Seventh-day Adventist position for the first 50 years. This has been a popular doctrine and regarded as orthodox ever since the Bishop of Rome was elevated to the Popedom on the strength of it. It is accounted dangerous heresy to reject it by them, but each person is permitted to explain the doctrine in his own way. All seem to think they must hold it, but each has perfect liberty to take his own way to reconcile its contradictory propositions, and hence a multitude of views are held concerning it by its friends all of them orthodox, I suppose, as long as they nominally assent to the doctrine. For myself, I have never felt called upon to explain it or to adopt and defend it. Neither have I ever preached against it, but I probably put as high an estimation on the Lord Jesus Christ as those who call themselves Trinitarians. This is the first time I have ever taken the pen to say anything concerning the doctrine, my reason for not adopting and defending it are one, its name is unscriptural. The Trinity, or triune God, is unknown to the Bible, and I have entertained the idea that doctrines which require words coined in the human mind to express them are coined doctrines. I've never felt, number two, I've never felt called upon to adopt and explain that which is contrary to all the sense and reason that God has given me. All my attempts at an explanation of such a subject would make it no clearer to my friends. But if I am asked what I think of Jesus Christ, my reply is, I believe all that the scriptures say of him. If the testimony represents him as being in glory with the Father before the world was, I believe it. If it is said that he was in the beginning with God, that he was God, that all things were made by him and for him, and without him was not anything made that was made, I believe it. If the scriptures say he is the Son of God, I believe it. If it is declared that the Father sent his Son into the world, I believe he had a Son to send. If the testimony says he is in the beginning, he is the beginning of the creation of God, I believe it. If he is said to be the brightness of the Father's glory and the express image of his person, I believe it. And when Jesus says, I and my Father are one, I believe it. And when he says, my Father is greater than I, I believe that too. It's the word of the Son of God, and besides this, it is perfectly reasonable and seemingly self-evident. If I be asked how I believe the Father and Son are one, I reply, they are one in a sense not contrary to sense. If the and in the sentence means anything, the Father and the Son are two beings. They are one in the same sense in which Jesus prayed that his disciples might be one. He asked his Father that his disciples might be one. His language is that they may be one, even as we are one. It may be objected if the Father and the Son are two distinct beings. Do you not in worshiping the Son and calling him God, break the first commandment of the Decalogue? No, it is the Father's will that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. We cannot break the commandment and dishonor God by disobeying him. The Father says of the Son, let all the angels of God worship him. 
Should angels refuse to worship the Son, they would rebel against the Father. Children inherit the name of their Father. The Son of God hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than the angels. That name is the name of his Father. The Father says to the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hebrews 1.8 The Son is called the Mighty God. Isaiah 9.6 And when he comes again to earth, his waiting people will exclaim, This is our God. Isaiah 25.9 It is the will of the Father that we should thus honor the Son. In doing so, we render supreme honor to the Father. If we dishonor the Son, we dishonor the Father, for he requires us to honor his Son. But though the Son is called God, Yet there is a God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 Though the Father says to the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, yet that throne is given him of his Father. And because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity, he further says, Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee. Hebrews 1, 9 God hath made that same Jesus both Lord and Christ. Acts 2, 36 the Son is the everlasting Father, not of himself, nor of his Father, but of his children. His language is, I and the children which God hath given me, Hebrews 2.13. And that was written by R.F. Cottrell in the Review and Herald of June 1, 1869. That is the end of chapter 26. And tomorrow we come to the final chapter, chapter 27, titled, Receive the Spirit. Dear Jesus, I pray you would be with those who are here with us today. Give them thy spirit, thy power, thy divine mind. Help them to understand and comprehend this such important subject for our time. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Once again, God bless you, brothers and sisters. Let us strive to be among God's peculiar treasure, his small remnant, to see him when he comes in glory. I'll see you in the morning.